Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling. Welcome, everybody, and it's another chapter in our lives with Hollywood Godfather Podcast. I'm here with my co writer and comprite. Compradre, compradre, what, what the hell is that? Compadre. <laughs> what was it, compadre? Compadre. Yes. Compadre. I don't speak Spanish. Well, I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak English. My friend. <laughs> there you go. That's all. Pat Picciarelli. And How's obviously our young genius, Megan Haran. Haran, yes. Haran. Yes. What happened in one week? I forgot that too. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> well, Megan's got some interesting requests tonight. Yes, we have had numerous requests, email questions, wondering about Gianni's music career, about, you know, certain songs, where he started, why he started. So, Gianni, would you like to give us a little rundown on your wonderful music career? Well, I mean, I, I've always wanted to be a singer. Anybody read our book? Knew I got involved early on when Dolores, my candy striper nurse in Bellevue, gave me a transistor radio in 1949, the eve of my seventh birthday. So I've been interested in music for like um, 71 years. And the first guy I listened to most was Sinatra. And uh, when I had the opportunity... A gentleman, a good friend of mine, Frank Hooper, and I were in business with Financial World and did a lot of things together prior to even The Godfather. And uh, we wrote a song together and had a show, a live show in Las Vegas called Welcome to My Lifestyle. It was on every Thursday night. And um, I started singing on it. And the first cut that we made was a man alone, and um, we have our engineer with us tonight because this is a very sophisticated show, and we uh, wanted to make sure the quality was great. So uh, I'm going to introduce for the first time the guy who's behind the scenes since the beginning, and with me over 20 years, Mike Austin. So uh, he'll be engineering and making sure you get the right sound in your ear tonight. Uh, could you tell us uh, historically... What year was this? This was 1969, Las Vegas, Nevada. Billy Porter, who was working with Elvis Presley, had a studio. And uh, Mr. Hooper, Billy Porter, and I collaborated. And this was the first song I ever recorded. So don't hold it against me. But <laughs> <laughs> we're going to play a few bars of Man Alone. Stop singing and you come in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sinatra said the same thing when he heard yeah. it. And that's when he invited me to go to his house in Palm Springs for some singing lessons. So I didn't know whether I should have just quit singing then, but I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> but uh, that, that's, I mean, when I hear that now, I mean, it, I got a tie uh, or a clothespin on my nose or something to. Hit those notes. That's such a full set. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe I was trying to do how... Frankie Valley. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you get you have that high pitch in there that you don't have. Yeah, I know. Thank God. Yeah, you sound so uh, you sound so young. Well, I, I you crazy. know I was actually um, 
24. Oh, wow. That's younger uh, than me. What's yeah. the process when, uh, when you and Sinatra got together? How does one teach someone to sing? What did he do to you and, and for you? Well, he taught me how to breathe first. How do you I, breathe? Because I was obviously using my throat rather than my diaphragm and my lower register. And to do that, it's a breathing exercise where for the first two days of my singing lessons, I was submerged in his pool in Palm Springs while he was counting down how long I could hold my breath and explained to me, you need to expand your lungs and sing in a lower register because you got a baritone voice and a soprano sound singing. And so does Jim Neighbors, if you remember that. Yeah, he was, that was amazing the way he sounded. I mean, when he started singing, nobody knew it was him. Yeah. And he had the opposite. He had that squeaky voice and a deep, uh, uh, a, a squeaky vo singing voice, I mean, speaking voice, and had a great deep singing voice. timber to his singing. Hmm. So aside from that, what else? Oh, and then breathing and phrasing and, and definitely knowing the lyric and digesting it and telling the story. As he said to me, I'll never forget it. He says, especially a love song, make a movie with a woman and you're really trying to impress her and you're telling her lines of the song of how you feel about her. So it's got to have a passion. It's got to have a meaning and a feeling. And that's all phrasing and, and uh, breathing and selling it, basically. And you can also say, I'm going to buy you a house. You're going to get it anyway. <laughs> no, so this anyway, is, how, how long did this go on? I mean, well, the lessons, lessons, how did this work? Well, the lessons that only went on for four days, I was a fast learner. And then I applied it all the time and kept developing it. And fortunately, uh, I'm still singing. And thanks to Sinatra. I mean, I don't know if I got any better, but I sing a lot lower. <laughs> you practiced so on your own? A... I'm sorry? You practiced on your own a lot then? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Megan, so what were you going to try to say? This is the beginning of, of your story in music. Do you remember recording this? I absolutely do. I was so thrilled. Where were you, and what was it like? Well, it was at uh, Billy Porter's studio, in Las Vegas, and uh, they were all live musicians. It was long before they started singing to tracks, and you could hear the strings. It was a big production, because you know I, I try to do things always in a big way, but I almost fell on the floor when I got the musician's bill for that those <laughs> tracks. <laughs> and for people who don't know, Bill Porter was um, Elvis's Elvis Presley's sound engineer. Was Elvis involved in this at all? Did he get the two of you together? No, he he knew we were doing it, and, he, and, uh, and we actually had to do it when he was out of town, because when Elvis is in town, he's Billy Porter is right there, and again, like it's good. I mean, glad you brought that up. That Billy Porter was his sound engineer, so he. I mean, these guys are all top-notch people, as usual. I try to do, and as we get into, not this show, but the next show of what we're doing in music again. Here we go again, but only with the top-notch people. Was that released as a single? It was released as a single, and uh, I don't know if it did well or not. I don't think so. But uh, because, you know, you had to get, at that time, was a lot of payola and labels were backing bigger stars. I just well, like doing it. You know, my ego, I'm... I, I'm, I became a singer with this record, and the the Christmas song really did well, which surprised me. Which uh, we should play some of that now. Uh, a time for uh, giving. Gianni, for those of uh, the listeners who don't know what payola is or oh. was, can you well, tell them? That's what uh, that's what DJs got, either in money or cocaine, to play your record and promote it. It's a, 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 and that all stopped later on when they cracked down on it, the FCC and all of that, because it's obviously illegal and it's not fair trade because the people like me who couldn't afford and get to these people with the payola, 
your record would go nowhere. But we made a little noise with this song, and that's why we, th- when we started talking about it, I thought maybe all our listeners f- for the last two, three years would like to have this song as a keepsake, and uh, it's a pretty, pretty tune. I'll leave it to you. Christmas is a time for giving. A time to let folks know you're real Christmas is a time for living To laugh, to love, and to feel May I give you my heart for Christmas May I wrap it in wings from a dove May I tie it with ribbons of kindness And seal it with rosebuds of love And will you give me your heart That's really nice. Pretty words, isn't it? Did you do the lyrics? Yeah. I'm interested in maybe going back in now that I heard it so pretty. Maybe next year we'll do... I didn't realize you have to release Christmas music in August to get it played, <laughs> <laughs> not in December. Megan, what do you think of the lyric of that? I think it's beautiful. I still can't get over how, how young you sound. Yeah, I was young. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you get raspy and drink a bottle of vodka at night. <laughs> <That'll do it. laughs> no, I think, I think it's, it's beautiful. That's 51 years later, I think. It's something like that. Well, you still have a great range. If, if you recall, uh, when you and I first met, when you were coming to Pittsburgh uh, to do some kind of a show, and, uh, you know, you invited me down. I came down with Susan, and uh, we went to that restaurant. There was a whole crowd of us. There had to be like 30 or 40 of us sitting outdoors in a, in a, in a, like a patio setting at a restaurant in downtown Pittsburgh. And you got up and sang with no amplification, no acoustics, and you really projected. Yeah, that's Sinatra. That was Sinatra. That that's what that breathing is about. Yeah, apparently. Wow, yeah. I was impressed. Good. I'm glad yeah. you're still around too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about this one. Who did you work with? Where the was same people. That kind of stuff. Was, same people. Frank Hooper and I wrote that that lyric. Billy Porter put the music together, and it was a, a you know a, a, a same compilation of the three of us and all the musicians. These guys had all these people at their fingertips because of Elvis, obviously, and a lot of those guys in that session was was Elvis's musicians who liked to pick up extra money. We could do sessions, you know, because they worked at night. We did this during the day, right. but but as we get through the history. Of my recordings, it's it's amazing the people I collect and the musicians sure. that participate. And both of these two songs, "A Man Alone" and "A Time for Giving," were on the same, like forty-five or whatever it was called. Those those. That's what it discs, was those right? days. A vinyl. Probably, it was probably one was on each side. Yeah. Is that correct? And okay. that was the big thing for jukeboxes. Jukeboxes were filled with maybe sixty of these records. With double the 45s sides. were smaller, were smaller than a normal oh my God, vinyl yeah. record, right? Okay. Yeah, they're small. It's about, uh, I think it's like six and a half inches in diameter, appeared okay. opposed to like fourteen oh. inches of a an LP. Size of an average pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Good comparison. <laughs> That's why you don't know where they are because he ate them all. <laughs> yeah. Forty <laughs> fives were a big deal. Oh my God! Yeah. And they were they were inexpensive. And then later on, which is an interesting story, we all know Barbara Walters, the name of Barbara Walters. Well, her father, Lou Walters, was in the jukebox business with some major guys in Chicago. And uh, they could make or break you in one day if they knew you. Because Billboard and all that, you really had to sell a million copies to get, you know, a, a gold record. 
Well, all they needed to do was buy them because they had more than a million jukeboxes. And it was a legitimate sale. So they've helped a lot of people. I mean, Steve, Stevie, uh, Steve and Edie, Edie Gourmet and Steve Lawrence, they were dating and he wanted to sing. And her father was really mobbed up. And he said, I'll make you a hit overnight. And they did a duet together and they put it on. And he had a, a, a million copies because of, you know, Wurlitzer and the jukebox business bought them. And that was another thing that, you know, they clamped down on that later on in life also. Because they felt it wasn't fair to the people who didn't have these kind of connections. Hmm. Should you? Should we move on to the next one? You want to introduce the next one for us? Well, the next one is an album, actually. And this was after my lessons with Sinatra. And I was really friend with him at this time. And um, it was after the movie The Godfather. And he said, you know, you should really do an album. And I, I incorporated a lot of Italian music, a lot of his tunes. And again, uh, like the first record, we used Elvis's musicians. In this session, we used Sinatra's musicians. I think there was like 38 of, or 40 of them. And it was called Reflections. And basically, we came up with the name because... Again, to go back to our book and reflecting on Sinatra's music, a lot of his music is in this album from that far back. And I, the, the first one is one of his great tunes. I mean, I've got you under my skin. I've got you under my skin I've got you deep in the heart of me So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me I've got you under my skin I've tried so not to give in I've said to myself, this affair, it ain't gonna go so well. But why should I try to resist when I know damn well? I'm you know, you can tell the difference in, in the in the timbre of your voice. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, it's again what we were talking about earlier, and it's a great example for any of our fans who listen to us that uh, what Sinatra told me the breathing was the whole thing. And Apparently. The, and the phrasing. I mean, the, the words mean a lot more. And, Megan, what, what are you thinking about this genre of music? It's probably all new to you. Um, I mean, it's definitely not something I listen to. Uh, I, have a grand, <laughs> I have a grandmom who lives with me at home who is about 10 years your senior, so... Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> I've definitely heard plenty of it, Um I mean, it's it's so classic. It's just it's just feel good music. And you said this is one of Sinatra's songs. Yeah, many, many years ago, that's one of his okay. greats. It's not one I'm I'm familiar with. So how did that how did that go recording his his music? How did that feel for you, someone who was such an idol and mentor to you? Well, the interesting thing is most of them were his charts also. So I mean, when you're going to go into a studio and you have all these musicians, you need music. So rather than spend forty or fifty thousand on music, he said, "Just take my charts and use them." So not only was I using his charts and his musicians, I mean, I was, most people would die to for that, and a lot of people has bought his library and his charts. They're for sale. His family sells them. It's it's amazing. The interesting thing: the first cut on the album was a, a, a guy that uh, he wrote his own music. And, and it's funny that his name, which slipped me, uh, and, and it's That's My Desire, is probably one of the great, maybe you can look it up too, uh, Megamal, I'm talking, I forgot his name. 
but a, a major, and he had a hit on it way back in the 40s or 50s. Who, who's, who do they Frankie say? Frankie Lane? Frankie Lane. Lane. Frankie Lane yeah. recorded this too, and I always liked it. And I just, I just picked it up a little bit because he did it more in a ballad. But uh, so let's play a, a couple of bars of that for our audience. To spend one night with you in this old rendezvous. And reminisce with you That's my desire To go where gypsies play Down in this small cafe And dance the night away That's my desire We'll sip a little glass of wine I'll gaze into your eyes divine To feel the touch of your lips Pressing on mine Well, I yeah, did a so lot of I. them. <laughs> In fact, I built even a few of them. <laughs> oh, really? And this this album, is this something that you toured or just did in mostly Vegas? How did that work? Well, what happened was in Vegas, because I was like a fixture there, and Costello owned the Tropicana Hotel, and most of my mob friends owned rooms, and they would always say, why don't you do a weekend for us, you know, as a courtesy and friendship and... So I, I got a lot of professional training by having these stages to do it on. And I know I couldn't get fired, so it really gives you a false image and, and, and confidence. So it really, I mean, it worked out wild because I even remember one time, I think we spoke about it, when I was on my own stage at State Street, which I used to sing all the time. I loved it, especially when I had a couple of martinis. And Don Rickles made the mistake of saying, you know, he really sounds good. And I did a couple more tunes, and when I joined their table, Sinatra said, Rickles really likes the way you're singing. Give me a telephone. And that time you had a phone you plugged in at each booth. And uh, he told my, my, my girl to give him an outside line, and he dialed a number. We didn't even know who he was talking to. And he's talking about being at State Street, and Don Rickles just heard Gianni. And unbeknownst to me, I don't know that Sinatra, Don Rickles, and a few other artists that he brought along with him were moving downtown to the Golden Nugget to Steve Wynn. They were all on the strip for years, but now they're all supporting Steve Wynn. And uh, he tells Steve that I want Gianni to be Don Rickles' opening act for the next year so he can get some experience being in a big room. And then Steve must have said, what should we pay him? And he said, well, give him 3500 a week. Don Rickles almost fell off the chair because I think he was paying his opening act like $700, $100 a night. <laughs> For the opportunity and the experience, as he said. But I mean, it's that's why you, as, as we reflect on this now, and that's why the, the album is called Reflections. And again, we know these are all will be available. We'll tell you how to do this to you for Christmas gifts and whatever at the end of the show. But I think it's something that, you know, if you like this music and you're having the opportunity in the first bundle, to hear Elvis's musicians again. This one you're hearing Sinatra's guys. I don't know how much better. I mean, the singer could have been better, but the music is great. <laughs> you know, one of Sinatra's uh, classic tunes is uh, It Was a Very Good Year. I mean, that, oh. that, that's, that's, the, that's the lounge song. That and uh, A Quarter to Three, those two songs. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, you did a rendition of that, which we're about to hear. I'd like to see how you did that. Yeah, please. You know, like most of you, I've been a Sinatra fan all my life. And early on, I found out that we share our same birthday, December 12th. 
Ironically, we lived 12 miles apart from each other. And when Frank was 28, he starred in a movie called From Here to Eternity. At the age of 28, I did a movie called The Godfather. Looking at his music and saying what song parallels both our lives, I think it's this tune. It was a very good year It was a very good year For small town girls And soft summer nights We'd hide from the That's excellent. You know, uh, just to choose to sing that, uh, everybody automatically thinks of Sinatra. So well, that's I mean, a big that, compliment. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think we should just compliment. say that you think that. <laughs> well, you know, that's like uh, if you're going to make a remake of a movie, you do Gone with the Wind. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's taking a chance. And I, I think by you singing that song, that was taking a chance. You did a hell of a job. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, because uh, th that's his signature song. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, in fact, I had the privilege of doing it after he passed. Uh, a good friend of mine, she owns a place called Vibrato. And uh, Eden Alpert, Herb Alpert's daughter, owns this only nightclub. And it's still there in Bel Air on top of the hill in Bel Air. And I, I recommend that anybody that goes to L.A. call up Vibrato and tell Eden Alpert that you're a friend of Johnny Russo's and you heard some music that I did in her club. And one night, I got off stage and the maitre d' said, some people in the back want to say something to you. And I go in the back, and it's Tina and Nancy Sinatra. And they gave me the greatest compliment because of that song. They said, that's the second best version I've ever heard of that song, which I could have cried. For, you know, these kids saying wow. that about me. Yeah, it's a big deal. You, you did a hell of a job on it, Johnny. Thank you, thank you. Really, really good. I like the introduction too. It you know it sounded like something you would typically do live. It was cool that it was on the actual recording. Well, I tried to do that to make it more of myself and let the right. audience know why I did it and my relationship with them. It works a lot. I've done it a couple of times through the album actually. And I'm I'm looking at the the next cut, which is uh, something after just just to jump around a minute is when he got married to Maria Farrow and moved right down the block here, he started wearing tie-dyes, and he sang a Beatles tune called Something in the Way She Moves, which is totally out of his genre. And I thought I would throw it on the album, and I'm just looking at it myself. It's the first time I've heard it in, I have to say, 20 or 30 years. I don't even know if it came out well or not, but... We'll judge it together. <laughs> you know, I remember when the Beatles first came to America. I think we all saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. Years later, George Harrison wrote this pretty tune. Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way She woos me I don't want to leave her now You know I believe in her Somewhere 
I said very, very well done. You you can see how your voice matures as 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 time goes on. It's very evident. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. But I mean, it's you know, even myself, and I keep re- reflecting on the name of the album, <laughs> Reflections. That's what this is all about, and it, it means a lot more. Me even listening to this now, I have to say, I mean. I, I very few of us have uh, photograph uh, photographs and turntables anymore, but um, I, I have to thank Mike while he's with us that he went through the the pains of downloading this and digitizing it. And again, it's available to all of you who are listening. And um, I think it's a great great nostalgic piece. It could be a great That's Christmas cool. gift too for certain people who. Yeah, I think absolutely. That was the first time I had heard something. Um, I grew up a big Beatles fan, so I really, I really enjoyed that. That was very special. And I'm sure it would be to a lot of people too who are both Beatles fans and Godfather. Oh, so you heard it from fans. the Beatles originally? Yes. Yeah. Which brings up something even more interesting. Sinatra has the biggest. One of the biggest fan clubs in in Liverpool, so we were on our way to the Red Cross Ball that we get, went every year while Grace Kelly was alive. And we went a couple of times after she passed, but it wasn't the same, obviously. So we stopped in Liverpool, and he said, "So we're going to go meet some people in a pub after this." And we went to the pub where the Beatles all lived around, and they were there to meet Frank. And I'm wow. saying, this, and I, when we start looking and hearing this stuff, he, he brought me into so many areas I would have never been. And, uh, you know, and obviously this album was done before that. So to me, it was like, I couldn't even say I did it. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, if we ever do another nonfiction book, I think I'm going to title it The Forrest Gump of the Entertainment World, Gianni Russo. <laughs> I, I mean, you you hit upon uh, a lot of historical events. Well, as you know, as, as all of you are getting to know me, I, I like doing that. I think it's important, even when, you know, with my life and the people that I've known and had the privilege of being around, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's given me an opportunity that most people never had. And I would never had them other than my friendships with all these people. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, Sinatra and the Beatles and the clubs owned by Frank Costello, like the Copa, these are the experiences as a young person that I had the privilege of and you know, the opportunity to see and do and uh, and listen to these music. It's like crazy. It, uh, it, it's uh, it really is touching even to myself. In fact, I think I'll be the first one to buy this now in digital. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna send it to all my kids who who don't really like me to think they <laughs> haunted, haunted by my music. <laughs> So you, you wanna you wanna uh, finish out this uh, segment with an Italian medley? Oh, that's good. Give them a little Italian yeah. stuff. This With is from the neighborhood. Beat. There you go. A great idea. We could stretch this a little bit, Mike. Get them in the mood.
Hey, Mike, fade us out of that a minute. I think it's a good time to do a uh, commercial because the people who are not going to tune in maybe next week, Megan, why don't you tell them how they can get what they're hearing and what they'll be missing if they don't tune in next week. (laughs) All right, I can do that. So all of this will be available on GianniRusso.com for purchase and download. Um, Reflections, the album you've been hearing most recently, will be available. And then a bundle for the first two we played, A Time for Giving and A Man Alone, will also be available. So just in time for Christmas. It's perfect. And how much will all this cost, Megan? (laughs) (laughs) The bundle will be $2.99, and Reflections will be available for $9.99. That's great prices for Christmas gifts. Great deal. (laughs) And they, they come available... Whenever you start calling in. <laughs> exactly. That's perfect. All right. Good well, stuff. Do we want to move on to another commercial or you think that's good? I think we should do one more commercial and then do the mailbag. And uh, then who? I hope you all do tune in to next week's show because we got some exciting news. We're back in the studio with people. You're not going to believe. I'm just going to give you a hint. Believe it or not, I'm rapping at 79 years of age. (laughs) You're never too old to start. Right. We're going to do a commercial. Come right back. We hope to see you next week and listen to the show. We're going to do the mailbag. Be right back. Don't go nowhere. Welcome, everybody. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you tonight that... We are expanding not only the show, not only how you can participate and share into so many different facets of my life and the life of this podcast and the world we created. We are going to expand our family. You're going to have an opportunity to actually join our family. And it'll be up to you how far you go in our family by the purchases of things we're putting out to you, Um, the opportunities that you could take advantage of, like having a one-on-one conversation with me, having me visit your home while you have 10 people for dinner. There's so many things that you're going to be so excited. Just go to HollywoodGodfatherFamily.com and we'll have all the information you want. And believe me, I want you in my family. Don't let me come looking for you. And we're back. I love this part of the show. We really get to know what you are thinking. All right, let's get right into it. First question is from Phil. This one is um, directed to Patrick. It says, question, why is Clemenza in the line of fire when they killed Pauly? He's not in the line of fire. I mean, this was a headshot from an inch away. If the hitter, who we don't know who it is, kills uh, you know, would, would miss Paulie and come close to Clemenza, he'd be the next guy dead. I mean, it was a simple shot. In fact, it was probably a contact shot. Oh, no, he wasn't in the line of fire at all. Uh, Clemenza was out of the car, to the left, at least 20 feet away when Paulie was shot. He was urinating. Who said that? That, that he was yeah. in the line of fire? No, no, no way. He was beyond, way, way beyond the line of fire. Wow. I mean, to hit him, you would have to aim. You know, it's, uh, unless you know, it was Alec Baldwin. Now, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> wow, oh, my joke. Shame on you. <laughs> Moving right along. All right. Next one is from Jen. Jen says, Johnny, have you ever met Barbara Streisand? If so, what is she like? Who? Barbara Streisand. I guess you don't listen to our show. That's why I said who? <laughs> I made a great deal with Barbara Streisand, not with her, but let her people know. She was going to work for a friend of mine called Kirk Kikorian, who built the International Hotel, the first person to build a hotel off the strip. And I think it was like 3,500 rooms, a major, major hotel, and had the first showroom that had balconies in it and sat 1,500 people. 
Up to that time, there were four or 500 people. Why I'm bringing it up is Streisand was going to open it that 4th of July weekend. And I know because I bought stock in it. The International Hotel stock was a, a, a new hotel, so the stock wasn't worth anything yet. It was $5 a share. And I think, let's use a figure, she was getting 50000 So I said to her manager, whoever he was at the time, I said, you know, Elvis is coming in with, for the stock. He said, why would he do that? I said, well, with these two people performing for the first month, this stock's going to go to the moon. And sure enough, by the end of the month, the stock was $50. So you know what? They got 10 times whatever they asked. So that, let's say use the 50000 Now it's worth a half a million. Would have been the biggest payday she had. But I've known such Streisand for so long. Nasty, nasty woman. I know her from Brooklyn. I can't even get into that. I mean, Jesus. And I'm sure, she, and I'm sure after you gave her that tip, she took care of you, right? Oh, oh yeah. She bought me a Rolls Royce. She didn't even yeah, right. acknowledge it. I know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, in her defense, I don't know if her manager said it. Maybe he just kept the money. Maybe he bought the stock and she don't know it. <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you one Streisand story. This had to be about 20 years ago. She was filming a movie on the west side of Manhattan. And I was in uh, New York staying with a friend. And they were shooting at night on uh, West 74th Street between Broadway and West End Avenue. And... Uh, the people were, and this was going on for days and days. People couldn't get any sleep. So everybody on the block got together and they, uh, when it was her turn to do a scene, everybody opens up their windows and started tossing eggs at her. Whoa. And she got a hit. And I saw this. And she got a hit numerous times. She wasn't very popular. She didn't want to talk to any of the Oh, people. no, nasty, nasty. Yeah, no, she was. She and was still fine. is. I didn't have first-hand experience with that. But usually if you're going to you know, upset people, they'll you know, talk to the neighbors, say hello, sign a couple of autographs. She didn't want any of that. Nope. So she wow. became an omelet by the time they got done with her. She got hit with like two dozen eggs. That's why her husband, what was his name, Roland? James Roland? James Roland. This guy, they should build a monument for him. He's got nerves of steel. I can only imagine the abuse she gives him. And she, I, I never thought of her, a woman can get uglier than she was, but this woman really is ugly now. <laughs> she got older. My God. Tell I, us how you really feel. I, I'm telling oh you. Know, next time I'll take a picture of her. <laughs> uh, thank you. No, no, thank you. I, I have a hard enough time sleeping. I don't need that. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from that one. Next one is from Daniel. Daniel says, in the wedding scene of The Godfather, we see Michael in the uniform of a Marine captain. He is shown wearing the Navy's second highest award of, for valor, the Navy Cross. Yet throughout the early part of the film, he is shielded from the family business as if he isn't tough enough or have what it takes. Was there any attempt to square this with the established storyline that he was a combat vet veteran decorated for valor? Well, the, I think that you, that anybody that saw the movie... His older brother, Sonny, basically explained that line. Oh, now you want to kill people. You know, you're not going to, you don't have an army behind you. You're not, you're, this is you. You got to pull a gun and bob right in the head. Was, uh, they were trying to prove that, he, you know, you could be and get the Medal of Honor, whatever that was. And I mean, I, I feel the way most of the audience did probably when it came out saying, wait a minute, I served. What are you telling me? I didn't have, I didn't have the guts to do this. And, but I, I think they were just trying to say street killings are a lot different. They're not orchestrated, uniformed, backed by artillery and everything else. It's you and two guys in a restaurant. You're going to kill both of them? And you know what they're also trying to say, too? Uh, during the uh, uh, prelude, when uh, Michael is, is, is telling them, yeah, I joined the Marines, and Sonny flips out on him. You know that you're, you're going, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna fight for somebody else. You stay with the family. The family is everything. So he's trying to say that the military wasn't anything. You, you did what you did, and you disgraced the family by doing it. So he tried to separate uh, what Michael did from what Sonny thinks he should have done. Yeah, so it's both those things. What you said and what I just said. It's uh, 
you know, with that type of a mindset, the military isn't anything. You, if you want to do any fighting, you fight for the, for the family. Oh yeah, make money for it. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was about. Got it. Yeah, those are good explanations. All right. Also from Daniel. Daniel says, after Godfather one and two, what do you think was Coppola's next best movie? We can open that up to the two of you guys. I I don't. I never saw Apocalypse Now. I heard it was good. I don't know. I did. What'd you think of it, Pat? I don't know how they survived making that movie. I mean, literally survived making that movie. I don't know. Uh, and a lot of them really got sick for years. I really me. got sick. Uh, uh, I think it was shot in Thailand, but that they were there. And I mean, I was in Southeast Asia. I mean, you know, on an average day, it's, it's 110 degrees with 99% humidity. You got to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day doing that. And the scene I remember from, from uh, uh, that movie is a helicopter attack. Uh, and the, the musical score is uh, Attack of the Valkyries. It's a German song that the, that, that the Nazis used to play when they went into battle. And it was so epic. And I'm just looking at this scene with all these helicopters. I mean, to direct something like that, this scene went on for about 15 minutes. They destroy a village uh, using, using uh, gunships, helicopters. I've seen it, the movie numerous times. Johnny, you have to see it. I mean, it, it's it's long. You know, Marlon Brando uh, was the star. You don't see him till the very end. And this this movie was based on a book by Joseph Conrad, who was a literary English writer. The movie was called Hearts of Darkness. And they adapted that book to uh, Apocalypse Now. Great, great, great movie. Well, I, I remember seeing, you know, uh... Martin Sheen, was it? Yeah, Martin Sheen. Yeah. Yeah. And he got malaria from being in that mud, all that, I don't even want to say what was in this mud. This was a, a true village that they they just went Yeah, well, in. I, I don't know if people are aware, but the rice paddies, I mean, the Southeast Asia, their main crop is rice. And you've seen pictures of uh, rice paddies. Those rice paddies are fertilized with human excrement. Oh, my God. As a soldier, and I mean, I was there. You walk through this stuff. I mean, it's, you get all kind. I mean, I came back. I was 115 pounds. I had dysentery. You know, just being there makes you sick. So all these people were there working these hours. They're not used to this. They're not trained military people. I heard there were a couple of heart attacks. And they were uh, submerged in it. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But anyway, he asked what was the best movie he did besides The Godfather. Definitely Apocalypse Now. There you got it. Wow. Wow. All right. There we have it. So next is from Steven. Steven says, hi, Gianni, have you watched the new Dean Martin documentary? If so, what are your thoughts on it? What's your favorite memory that you have with Dean? Well, Thank first you. of all, the documentary was produced by his daughter, Dina Martin. I wouldn't watch her open a refrigerator. <laughs> She, how she talks about her father, like she was out with him every night. And we didn't see her out with us when we were with him every night. <laughs> what do you like more, Johnny? Uh, Dina Martin or Barbara Streisand? I, I can't tell. It's, uh... Well, no, they're all in the same category. Uh, that's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I just, you know, I call it the way it is. I ain't going to. Yeah, you know, of course. I, I, I like Dina Martin. In fact, for a while, just to show our audience that I, I, did, I did respect Dean, Dean used to send her white roses every time she sang somewhere. And for the longest time, maybe I would say a year, I would send her white roses and never sign the card, just in memory of her father. Uh, that's a nice touch. I thought so, too. And, uh, what was your father's memory of Dean? Oh, my God, just just Dean being Dean. Dean didn't care about nobody. And a tough guy. I mean, most of the audience don't realize he fought for the mob early on as a boxer. boxer. Yeah. A boxer under the name of Kid Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> and he used to wear a Davy Crockett hat in the ring. I mean, if you ever saw Dean then, but never took bull from anybody. And... He, he was that guy. You know, and Sinatra, Sinatra knew it, too. I mean, Sinatra, he would, he could kill Sinatra in one punch. 
Well, anybody can, Sinatra said, but Sinatra had that thing about him. And Dee didn't just care, he was just so nonchalant, which what you saw on stage is who he is. He didn't care. And uh, that's what I loved about the guy. He was just a, a genuine guy, and, you're, and he's your friend. And he gave me my first pair of these evening slippers when I was 17, 18. I never stopped wearing them. And every time I put them on, I have a memory of Dean Martin, which is a nice memory, you know. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Absolutely. All right, well, that's all we have time for tonight. All right. Well... Again, ladies and gentlemen, I can't tell you how much this show with the music means to me just in memories of my life. And I'm glad we're able to share it with you. And technology-wise, they were able to download it. Buy them for prosperity and just the memories of Elvis's orchestra, Sinatra's orchestra, and how it came about. And give it as a Christmas gift. It's probably the best part of, his part of history. And it's inexpensive. It's under $10. What could you buy for under $10 today? And have a story. And download them or tell them to listen to this podcast. And they'll know all about both of them. There you go. With that said, we thank you. We appreciate you. And we'll see you next week or talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, guys. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.